Bob Murphy Show, episode 249. There's a tidal wave coming. What you gonna do? Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. The podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews, conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. Today I'm going to be broadcasting for you an interview I recently did for the Battle Born podcast, which is the official podcast of the LP out of Nevada. It's hosted by Randy Suddock and Adam Heyman. Randy is described at their website as a small business owner and podcast director for the LP Envy. And Adam, amongst his other titles, is a Southern regional rep. And he's also on the executive committee of the LP Envy. And what we talk about in this podcast episode is basically my pamphlet on Texas secession or independence, as I like to frame it. And that's, you know, they asked me, well, how did I get into that? And just raise a lot of the issues involved, some of the objections and so forth. So if you haven't heard me talk about it before, this is a good place to jump in. And even if you have heard me talk about it before, the discussion now is a bit more current eventsy because it's <laughs> current. And so you may still enjoy it. So without further ado, here is my discussion on the Battleborn podcast talking about the case for Texas secession. And it's the Battleborn podcast. I'm your host, Randy Sadak. With me is Adam Heyman. Hey, Adam. Hey, Randy. How are you? Good, good. And uh, also joining us today is Bob Murphy. Hey, Bob. Hey, guys. Just want to let everyone know I am at a commercial establishment because my home Wi-Fi went out. If you hear background noise, that's what it is. So what you're saying is the NSA sabotaged your home internet connection <laughs> and you had to flee to a coffee shop. It's kind of silly on their part because they should have just laid low without me knowing and then they could keep intercepting it. <laughs> it's government inefficiency that will let us win, Bob. No, I know what it is. They have agents working at the Starbucks. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Uh, they just made your coffee for you. You're a lot did. Right, right. And all of a sudden, the case for freedom evaporates. <laughs> So Bob agreed to come on because we wanted to talk about secession and national divorce. And you had put out a, well, actually, you know what, maybe let's back up. Uh, can you just give us a brief blurb on on you, Bob? I mean, I'm sure most people who listen to this know, but just a, a quick thing. Okay. Yeah, sure. So I'm an economist. Um, I, I'm a member of the Austrian School of Economics. I uh, got my degree from NYU. I taught at Hillsdale College for three years. Uh, I worked for Arthur Laffer in the financial sector for about a year. And then more recently, I was at Texas Tech. They have a what's called a free market institute. They're headed up by Ben Powell. It's kind of very Austrian-centric uh, program there. And, but yeah, mostly I, I write books and articles and things working through various think tanks to explain how the market economy works to the layperson. And I have written a lot on uh, like the mechanics of a, of a totally free society or an anarcho-capitalist world as depicted by Corey Rothbard in that tradition. And you've done talks about how maybe the military could be privatized as far as providing defense and all that stuff is on, I think it's Mises, the Mises YouTube yeah. channel? Right, yeah. So a lot of my lectures 
were given at the Mises Institute's Mises University, which is their week-long program in the summers. So yeah, if you go to the Mises Institute's YouTube channel and look up my, you know, Murphy private defense or something, you'll see all kinds of talks on that stuff. That's great. Now, I had asked you to come on because we did want to talk about this pamphlet that you wrote about Texas specifically and uh, secession and, and the mechanics of it. Can you just briefly give uh, an overview of why you picked Texas as a case study? Sure thing. And before I forget, let me just mention, so it's at texascommonsense.com if people want to go get the free version of this. Yeah, so it's, I mean, I think a lot of people have known for a while that tensions were brewing and I sort of gave up the the strategy of, oh, if we could just elect the right people and send them to Washington, that that, you know, that'll fix things. Um, real quick detour story. I, there was a, there was a rep in California at the state level. He called me out once because I had written a pamphlet for a, a California based free market think tank about how California could revise its tax code and, you know, be all these wonders if they went to a flat tax. And this guy really got you. Know, he read it and loved it and called me in. And he really got it too. It's, it's not just like 30,000 foot food. He understood, you know, the incentives and all that stuff. And, and he was gung ho. He was newly elected and he wanted to introduce it in the next session and all this stuff. And was just asking me for, you know, can we be in touch with you? And his chief of staff at the end of this little meeting said to him, look, at, this won't even get out of committee. The other Republicans will not support something this radical. This isn't going to go anywhere. And then your opponent in the next election is just going to use this against you. So he kind of talked them out of it. And the guy, said, well, Dr. Murphy, thanks for flying out here and we'll be in touch and I never heard from him again. And so, you know, that really just drove home for me, even people who want to do the right thing and they go into politics to go, you know, reform the system or whatever. It's just set up that there's, it doesn't work. So because of that, I had fallen out of, you know, I wasn't pushing politics or anything for a while. And then um, I just came to believe that at this point, the only thing that's going to work to at least have some semblance of a resurgence of political liberty in our lifetimes, at least would be if the states break up. And so, um, and from reading, uh, and from reading common sense, it looks, it sounds like one of your principal aims was to try and make that breakup happen in the peaceful way rather than us having to shoot at one another. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. So, yeah, th- that's, that was my big thing was to try to bring the argument of like before it was actually happening, but blood is still a hypothetical. And basically, one of the main aims I wanted was if we can get this, I hate to say this word, but start a conversation on this stuff. <laughs> And just get people who, in practice, we think would be against it to just concede and say, just, you know, hypothetically speaking, if, you know, 70% of the voters in Texas said they want, you know, on a statewide uh, referendum, so they want to break away from the U.S. federal government, would you guys be okay with the U.S. government bombing them into submission? Right. And just to get them on record to say, well, no, they shouldn't do that, you know, and just because that's, you know, what, what needs to happen in order for it not to. So that's, you're, you're right, Adam, that I, one of the reasons for me writing that stuff, it's, I think it's going to happen either planned or chaotically, let's at least have an orderly withdrawal, have people, you know, have committees and drop, you know, what do we do about Social Security and Medicare and all this stuff, rather than it just happening because the dollar crashes and, you know, and people just decide we're going to stop sending taxes to watch it. It seems almost too obvious at this point, but you start common sense with a description of, what the two Americas are and why this is necessary to be even thinking about. Do you maybe want to give a brief overview of what you're talking about? What are these two Americas you're talking about, Dr. Murphy? <laughs> well, sure. So obviously for anybody who's over 30, you know, the United States has always 
had like a bifurcated political system and, you know, not so much Republicans and Democrats, but more like conservative liberals the way, it, you know, and then people get more refined. And, oh, I'm a libertarian or whatever. But um, it, it seemed, especially since the Trump years, that it's, it's just really turned into two different realities. And I'm the first person to say this, but it's like one half of the, it's not so much half and half. It's more like a third and a third, I would say. And then there's another third that's kind of apathetic. But one third of the country is literally watching one movie and the other third is watching a different movie. And it's, it's just amazing. Like they can watch the same events, listen to the same talk, come away and say different things. You know, with Trump's infamous line about the very fine people, you know, his defenders are watching that and saying, yeah, he was talking about the people who are okay with the, you know, civil war statutes. He, he explicitly said he was not talking about the neo-Nazis or whatever. And then the other people to this day keep saying, and Trump said neo-Nazis were very fine people. And it was like, He's, he literally said like three times to clarify in then press conference. That's not what he meant. So, and there's all sorts of different, all this stuff with whatever one's views on these things, but you know, transgenderism and these, I mean, these are real basic things where one group is saying, no, this is just the natural extension of the civil rights movement. You know, just like people in the fifties didn't want white and black people dating. Some people today, you know, think it's weird if, you know, as someone who was born transgender is showering with the girls in the locker room in high school and other people are like, what are you even saying? That's a, that's a guy. What are you talking about? So, you know, these are, this isn't a matter of, oh, I think the capital gains tax should be cut or raised. These are really fundamental things. And when you're talking about people's kids, they get, you know, this is not something that's just up for debate at the next election. And, and then the, the, the one thing I threw in there too, just to drive that point home was that they literally were, play, I don't know if they're still doing this, but they were playing two different national anthems at football games, like just to show like, what more do you need to see that there's literally at this point, two different Americas in the same geographical region. For sure. And it's, and, and you know, as we're recording this, Biden just had his primetime address with the red backdrop. And, and I mean, I was like, Oh, well, some of the optics there hadn't people are acting it or some people are saying like, Oh, wow. They really dropped the ball on that. And as if they accidentally put the light, like, like that was just a trivial detail that they left to an intern. What lights are we going to come out? I mean, weddings, you know what the lighting's going to look like. That's well planned out. You don't think a presidential address on national television that they knew exactly what they were doing with the Marines. The vet. So at this point, it's it's clear they're, they're they're pushing like it's the powers that be the people, you know, that they're pushing division. For sure. I mean, Biden, maybe Biden doesn't know what words are put on the teleprompter for him because he's so brain addled. But somebody wrote Hey, say that MAGA Republicans are a clear and present danger to our democracy. Right. Those words have, have legal meaning and, and it's not peace and sunshine and, and daisies. It's they're giving themselves the legal context to round us up and kill us. Right. And all the stuff about, you know, treason and, you know, insurrection and all that stuff. Again, it's, I think it's partly to get their own base warmed up so that when they do start kicking indoors and arresting, you know, militia nuts and whatever, they're going to be doing the rest of the country is like, well, I mean, they literally are trying to overthrow the government. What do you expect them to do? For sure. You know what I mean, so it's, I, I think that's, it's not merely like, oh, we want to energize the base to win the next, you know, to, to do okay at the midterms. Yeah. Like this, I think really is, you know, part of a more sinister long-term plan. But even if it weren't, I mean, this, the way things are going, it's, it was clear to me that the states are going to break up in some fashion. And I thought, let's make the case. So, so as you said, Adam, just let them go. And that's one of the chapters in the book. I'm not just trying to rile up the people who would be for it, even the people who would be against it. I'm trying to convince them, let them go. 
you know, if, if yeah, you make states want to go. You make a great case that it'll, it'll be better for them if they just let it happen. But before we get there, why did you pick Texas as the best example of a state that has all the things lined up for it to be workable as a state to secede? Okay, sure. So, and I want to be clear, I'm not saying, you know, because I, I knew a bunch of people like in New Hampshire that when they saw this, they're like, oh, but what about New Hampshire? I'm not saying other states shouldn't try this and people who are working for independence for their own individual states, more power to you. That's, I'm not saying give up your efforts. And I'm also not even predicting that Texas would be the first to break away. Like right now, you know, Florida obviously is looking more of the, uh, you know, Charlie Brown of the class than, than Texas is. And the stuff in the Northwest, it's died down a little bit, but, you know, the, the dollar were a crash, it wouldn't surprise me if the Pacific Northwest is the one that's just the back though, at least went off the map. Um, but so, but the reason I picked Texas to, to me, that was just a clear cut, strongest case, all the conventional arguments for why, oh, it wouldn't work, fall away that, um, like for a lot of the other states, you know, for an interior state, just logistically speaking, it would be difficult for them to break away if the rest of the U S government weren't on board with it because they were just in the middle, they could totally seal them off. Even like Florida, if Florida actually got into active hostilities with the U.S. government, they could just take the Navy and blockade them, and that would be tough. Whereas with Texas, with the long border with Mexico, the U.S. government would have to interfere with the Mexicans. You know, In other words, they would have to pick a fight with another country if they wanted to seal off trade between Mexico and Texas. And also Texas, via Mexico, has access to two different oceans. So again, it would be a lot harder to seal them up. Texas is huge. You know, it's it would be one of the top economies in the world, even on its own population wise. So in terms of all these things, and then the, the other one was Texas for a while was its own republic, right? And to this day, like I, I lived in Texas for a while. I mentioned earlier that I had taught at Texas Tech for a bit. So they like kids were when you go to school at Texas, when in your you know elementary school, you learn Texas state history. It's not just US history, where it's like I went, I was in upstate New York. We didn't learn about this state of New York's history and the care. But for Texans, like that's part of their heritage. So just in terms of them being independent, another quick example is I've heard that when people from Texas are like visiting Europe and someone over there says, oh, hey, where are you from? They'll say Texas. They don't say America or the US. So for all those reasons, I just thought it, if we were going to make the case for why a particular state should be the first to go, Texas, like there's, there's no reason it should. Texas has just been its own country for a long time. Nobody would have been nine. Do you think time in the time frame, as far as things coming to a head, as you had mentioned, the rhetoric has been ratcheted up. I mean, do you think something would happen maybe in the next five to 10 years or 15 years? Or, I mean, how would you see things? I definitely think that like the dollar will crash within the next 10 years, let's say. And when that happens, I think, so things might happen before that point, but I think that's the ultimate. Because right now, you know, the U.S. government has a really big military, but with all the stuff, you know, the debacle in Afghanistan, the withdrawal and so forth, that's less the case. I think, you know, China's beefing up its Navy a lot. So, and it's every year, I think the U.S.'s military dominance is falling, but then it also just has a lot of money. And so, or, you know, it's cash flow, let's say it's actually deeply in the red in terms of its assets and liabilities, but cash flow is huge. But and so that's partly how it can maintain this. But when, in other words, part of how Washington keeps people on board is by bribing them more by threatening to turn off, you know, the, the spigots. And so 
if it gets to the point, you know, if the dollar were to crash and then Washington can't just keep printing money and sending it to its people that wants to keep on board, that's when I would say that at the very least, there'll be a de facto breaking away that you can see the various like places, states that weren't really on board with all the edicts from Washington, just quietly not enforcing that. And then, you know, Washington just can't send federal agents all over the country. So I think you're going to see stuff like that. And I think that will happen within 10 years, if not soon. Maybe if you go through uh, some of the nuts and bolts of what you think would happen if Texas were to secede, because a lot of people, this is such a shift in paradigm that they can't even, you know, like what would happen with the people who have entitlements agreements with the federal government? How, what would happen with trade? What about immigration? What would you do with the army bases? You know, all those things. Maybe you could run through a few examples. Okay, sure. And and again, this is all spelled out. People go to TexasCommonSense.com. But yeah, so like as far as Social Security, Medicare, stuff like that, I said just conceptually right now, if someone moves from the United States to France, you know, renounces his U.S. citizenship and becomes a French citizen, they have mechanisms in place. And so, I, you know, they still can get their Social Security at that point, you know, based on certain criteria and whatever, you know, how, how old they are when they move and things like that, how long they've been in the system. They, they can't get Medicare because you get, it's got to be spent at a U.S. hospital. And so, you know, there's, there's things like that, right? So I'm saying conceptually what would happen, I think, like legally and administratively, the way you handle it is it's as if all of a sudden it's supposed that people in Texas voted to become, you know, their own in republic again about Texas, that all the people that were in Texas at that point would now be living in a foreign country. And then you would just treat it the same way. Right. And it's again, it's so I mean, there'd be a scale issue, but conceptually, if somebody right now moves from the US to another country, it's not like, oh my gosh, you're not allowed to do that because how would we know what to do with the national debts? Because now you're not part, you know, so all that stuff, I just handle it the same way. The military bases there, I, I think what the way to treat it is that would make the most sense is to say those, those are federal assets. And so the Texas authority, so just as if they vote for Texas independence and Shell or Exxon owned refineries that happen to be located in Texas. It's not that the now Texas state officials would say, well, we're going to nationalize those and that's our oil now. You know, like, like, like as if they were Castro or something that no, this, you know, these are clearly were owned by certain corporations or whatever. And just because now we voted this to see and dissolve political ties with Washington, that doesn't change the property rights to the stuff in our, you know, jurisdiction. And so if you get how that, makes sense that yeah they couldn't just nationalize that by the same token right now everybody agrees if there's a you know u.s army base that's located in texas that that's a, a federal asset and so i think by the same token the texas authority it's not that they all of a sudden would just get access to those munitions and whatever that they would say this is but now you've got a, a sovereign nation that's got some foreign nations air bases and army camps and whatever on their soil you're allowed to tell them you need to withdraw just like if there was a change in elections in, um, you know, Afghanistan or Iraq or something, and they all of a sudden decided, you know what, these U.S. occupying forces, even though they were invited here by our predecessor with the new elections, where we want you out. So, it, you know, in practice, you could say, well, what happens behind the scenes? And is there leverage where? But I'm just saying, legally speaking, I think that's the way, the cleanest way to handle it. It's not that the Texas authorities all of a sudden become owners of the U.S. military bases and such. But they can then tell them, you guys got to withdraw. Um, and then the last one I'll, I'll handle here is the immigration. So from the U.S. government's point of view, they would now just just be a matter of redrawing the border. So instead of it being 
you know, the southern border of Texas with Mexico is the line. Now it just, you just, the line would be a little bit more jagged. You know, it would just go around the border and that would be now the U- new U.S. southern border, which again is another reason why Texas breaking away is conceptually not that big a deal as opposed to like you know, some interior state that would be weird. And then I would think it'd be in both countries' interest to have a relatively quick checkpoint, you know, into and out of Texas. And I mean, you know, if people before COVID, at least going in and out of Canada wasn't a big deal. And so, you know, it could be the same sort of thing here. But keep in mind also, too, that if Texas is smart and doesn't like put in an income tax, then it's going to be an economic powerhouse. So any immigrants coming from Mexico into Texas are probably going to stay there. For sure. Right. So it's not just going to be like some sieve. And that's why, oh, no, we're getting overrun because these Texans aren't. And even right now, too. The issue with the southern border and, you know, illegal immigration, it's not because the Texans are unwilling to enforce the border. It's, it's the federal level. So I think, you know, the Texans kind of being law and order, rah, rah, probably would actually enforce their border more than, you know, it, it probably even against my own advice, like in terms of they care what I thought about it. But I'm just saying in practice, if regular Americans are worried that we'll know if Texas left, then we'd have this gaping hole and all these hordes of people would come through the southern border that, that no, that's, that's a silly concern. I think uh, sometimes uh, people on the left or right will say, well, okay, secession seems a little radical. Why don't we just redouble our efforts and take control of the national apparatus and then insert our policies and everything will be fine. But I think uh, we've already talked about the seething hatred and resentment of the other half of the country will always make that a, an unstable solution. But what about another one? Maybe the newfound respect for federalism that's occurred in the last handful of years, especially since COVID, but even before that with left-leaning states just ignoring the federal drug laws, for example, and just saying, hey, marijuana is legal here. I don't care. So it seems on the left and right, federalism and decentralization of political power is starting to become a thing that people are thinking about again. Do you think if that trend continues, maybe we can avoid the necessity of having to do some sort of a, a secession-based movement? I mean, certainly people pushing that stuff, you know, again, I, I think they should keep doing that. Like this, it's multi-pronged strategies. Yeah, people working on cryptocurrency and whatever, like, I, that's great. Patrick Friedman, I don't know if he's still working on his floating cities that are, you know, all, all that stuff is, is great. And, and they all reinforce each other too. Yeah. You know, and, the, and, I, and I point that out, you know, in the pamphlet to say that even the people who are working to reform the system, like in their own legislatures and whatnot, it's, if there's an escape failure, if Texas were to break away, then people still in Illinois who are working on, you know, keeping taxes reasonable or whatever, they could just say, well, look at how many of our residents are fleeing to Texas, this new Republic of Texas, because the tax burden is so lighter, much lighter there. We can't tax too much. You know, so all this stuff kind of reinforces each other. Um, but I mean, it's, I guess the secession is just the logical fruition of it. And again, the, I don't think you're going to get uh, a situation where, yeah, maybe they won't enforce local drug laws and things, but people are still going to have to pay their federal income tax. And that's a huge one. And so to me, I think that that's just a, a big example. And also to be less dependent on, you know, the, the U.S. dollar and, and be subject to the whims of the Federal Reserve. That's, again, something that's going to be tricky to do. I mean, I guess you could still have, you do have initiatives right now of the states trying to allow their citizens to you know, diversify away from the dollar. But it, so it's, Yes, those are helpful trends. And I, I just think, though, this is 
one. And again, I think it's not a matter of, uh, I don't need to sell like Karl Marx, like this is coming and it's inevitable. So you might as well just accept it. But I do think that th- this states, there is going to be a de facto. So maybe the trend you're talking about in practice, it'll, it'll be it just like it, in like Colombia or whatever. There's certain regions that everyone knows. Oh yeah. The cartels kind of control that. Yeah. And they, you know, it's, it's not as if they necessarily had a referendum and went through a thing that passed constitutional muster to break away. It's just kind of everybody knows. Yeah. If you go in there, the cartels are in charge. So it, you know, it could be some hybrid of those sorts of things where in certain regions, everybody just knows. Yeah. Nobody there files IRS returns and the feds are, are okay with that because it would be too costly to send Marines in there. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because the IRS will literally go around the world trying to track you down if you wanted to move to uh, Malaysia or something like that. You know, you can't escape them. And I think that's the only, our country is the only one that does that. If you move to a different country. Right. So that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, if I could just, yeah, great point, Randy. Let me just elaborate just to make sure some listeners, I was shocked when I first learned this. And so, yeah, I, my wife and I, we really have been, you know, we're, we're moving to Florida as of right now, but we are also looking abroad at things just to have an exit options. And, you know, and yes, that the, if the U it's the U S I think in one other country that like you've never even heard of before are the only countries that say wherever our citizen, you know, if you have a U.S. passport, if you're a U.S. citizen, we don't care where you are on earth. We, you know, we look at how much that local government taxes you. And then if you, we tax, if you don't pay as much to them as you would pay to us, if you were in the U.S., then you owe us the difference. Roughly speaking, and that's the like, like you said, Randy. That's like the U.S. and one other country on Earth does that, and it makes it really tricky. And also, too, I've heard horror stories: people who, you know, wealthy people that have said, "You know what? I'm out of here," and they, they live abroad, and they just with all the fat gun and all these other things that the things that they've been clamping down in the last decade on people living abroad and making sure they pay their fair share. And so, people will go to their embassy and turn in the paperwork to renounce their U.S. citizenship, and. Just, Years will go by, you know, they just won't process it. <laughs> it's like, what are you supposed to do? So it's like the thing when they say, well, if you don't like it, leave. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, well, you can't leave. So a lot of people will say, if you bring up the subject of a state seceding, that that's just nuts. I mean, didn't the Civil War settle this? And you handled that objection very nicely in common sense. I was wondering if you could, if you remembered it enough to, to run through it again. Right. So and you're, you're right. Adam, that, that comes up within three minutes of typically talking about this on last. So the Civil War settled this question, didn't it? So just on its own terms, if you just think through what they're saying, it's disgusting, right? That they're saying, oh, you don't have the right to do something because before someone else tried to exercise that right and the more powerful force just slaughtered them and then beat them into submission. So clearly you must not have that right after all. So um, this is a line I, I got this from Tom Woods, actually. He said that would be as disgusting or that have the same validity you know imagine if um you know somebody was was working agitating for an activist for native americans saying you know i think these aboriginal people they should have more autonomy you know if you go up these reservations they're in disarray and the federal government needs to back off and give them more autonomy then imagine if someone said well didn't the trail of tears settle this question right if somebody said that like they would lose their job and yet when it comes to the civil war like that's you know or secession the ability of people so there's that element. And just in general, I mean, you know, I had another part of the pamphlet where I was saying, just to think through when people are saying, well, this lead to a civil war, like last time. I mean, the only, here's, if you don't want that to happen, here's what needs to happen. This is the scenario in which 
it doesn't lead to a civil war is if some people in Texas, let's say they vote to break away and the U.S. government chooses not to drop bombs on them. Boom, there you go. Because the people of Texas are not going to say, we're leaving. Oh, and by the way, we're going to send missiles into Washington too on our way (laughs) out the door. They're not going to do that. The only reason hostility would happen is if the federal government said, if you you have the audacity to try to leave, we're going to kill you. And then the Texans in self-defense would say, well, we're not going to sit here and shoot us. So that's all that needs to happen. And again, you can't prove it wouldn't, but I think it would be difficult, you know, if people are going to have their iPhones and whatever and be taking pictures, you know, be kids in Dallas with their limbs blown up. Because why? Because their parents thought Thomas Jefferson was serious when he said, we have the right to do this. For sure. Right. So it's just the, the cognitive distance. And also too, and, and this is getting into like you're saying, Adam, when I was explaining to skeptics, what, like, if this were to happen, let's say you need to support it, like you, you should let them go. Right. How could the U S government ever lecture some other foreign leader on, you know, not cracking down on dissidents in their jurisdiction if the U.S. is bombing people in Texas or Florida or wherever it is because you know, they had the audacity to think they had the right to self-determination. Another beautiful crystallizing metaphor that you used is uh, if you find yourself in a, an abusive relationship and the only reason that you're not leaving is you think you're going to get your ass kicked if you do, well, that's exactly the time you ought to think about packing your bags and finding a way to get out of that abusive relationship. Right, right. So if, it, they're really, it, if they're really saying might makes right, then uh, you know maybe this isn't the political association that you really want to be involved in. Yeah, and on that point too, it, it really is shocking to me how many people, and in both the, the right and the left too, just sort of breezily say, well, well no, a secession's not an issue because you know there'd be another civil war. Like they would, they would, Washington wouldn't allow that. So let's talk now about, you know, getting the right people on the Supreme Court. And it's like, whoa, hang up. <laughs> you, you're just, you're just admitting the reason we don't, you don't want to support secession is because you know, they would just murder us. Like that's like, isn't, doesn't that mean we're part of this system? And so, so right. And, and also too, like to continue that metaphor, it's, um, you know, suppose there, there were, you know, a woman that was in a relationship with like a mob boss or whatever, just real abusive guy that, could seriously you know, have her killed or whatever if she were to leave. It, it's not necessarily the right thing to say, oh, you just need to leave tomorrow, pack your bags and go because she, you know, what if she's like saying, no, really, he will find me. Like you can say, I can move to another city. He has people, he would find me. So maybe the right thing is to, you know, lay low for a while and just go along with the motions. But like you said, Adam, it's, you used need to start thinking like, how could I get out of this? It's not just, well, I guess I'm going to have to stay with him forever because, you know, he'd kill me otherwise. Okay, what am I going to do? You know, I'm going to get my nails done tomorrow. But th- <laughs> that's not the thing. So, yes, maybe in a real situation, you, you do. So, if somebody said, I don't think secession is the right thing right now because they would bomb us, but I agree with you, you know, we shouldn't. This is a horrible system. Let's think long term. How can we extricate ourselves? Okay. But just to breezily say, well, <laughs> they would kill us. So, let's go back to, uh, you know, trying to do better in the primaries next time. What would be your maybe the strongest points in staying in the union as far as like for Texas? Do you have any, if you were playing devil's advocate on yourself? I mean, it probably would just be similar to what we just said that things get messy fast and you can't. So I would think like if I were, you know, a, a Gandhi or somebody and, you know, had a, and if I could just get all the people in Texas to follow the strategy and say, no, no, we cannot. Um, you know, be provocative or whatever. You, you do not go and drive by a military base and start shooting at Marines. You know, you don't online say 
you know, really over the top stuff about what you're going to do, then, you know, I think there'd be a, a much better chance of them breaking away with, like I said, if, if they handled it very peacefully and, you know, legally going through all the motion, that, that's another reason too. I forgot to mention, you guys asked about Texas is it's crystal clear. I, you know, I documented in the pamphlet when you, when Texas joined the union at the time, but there was all sorts of, if, if they don't, if they want to return it, it's, it's in their constitution and everything, the Texas state constitution. They can, if, if the will of the people doesn't support it anymore, they can leave, right? So it's, it's in terms of, you know, if someone says, well, is this technically legal? It, it's, it's clear cut that it is. They weren't giving some open-ended, okay, we're going to join the union. And now, even if our descendants want to back out, tough. It, it, that's the language is there. So I'm saying if they were to go ahead and go through all those legal channels and do everything peacefully, I think it would be tricky for the U.S. government to just start dropping bombs. What instead would happen is if, there was back and forth on both sides and both sides could plausibly say to their biased base, they started it. Well, well, you know what I mean? Look what they just did. So in practice, if it got messy and a bunch of people did end up dead, you know, I, I could, I could see saying, all right, that wasn't worth it. You know, this, this is too much bloodshed. There is a sense in which it's always the seceding entity that gets tricked or forced into firing the first shot because the United States would just make come around and just ask for your taxes or make, I mean, the union ship was only trying to resupply Fort Sumter and then they got fired upon by these unreasonable Confederates. You know, the, the people seceding will, will be, will firing the first shot just to keep the federal government from coming in and doing the normal business, you know? Right. Yeah. So that's, that's the issue. Yeah. They would be sending a federal agents in to go collect taxes and whatnot. And yeah, at some point, some people say, no, get out of here. And they would take it. Or, you know, they could even do false flags and, and whatever and make it appear that way. So it's, it is a difficult thing. But, but again, to answer Randy's question that, that yes, in terms of, but, but that's precisely why I'm, I'm saying what I'm saying is I'm trying to right now make the case for peaceful secession and mostly just get everybody to agree, hey, if this were to happen, would you let him go? Yeah. And then, you know, to try to just open up that discussion. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, in, in practice, like, like I said, like we're, we're looking at looking, leaving the, the country too. So it's, I'm not saying like, oh, let's all, you know, go to this thing and then we're going to have our last stand and, and whatever, even though some people think are thinking like that. So it's. Do you have any thoughts on uh, advice you want to give the future leaders of Texas or whatever secessionist movement to keep their republic from becoming oppressive and, and descending into chaos like the United States is? Just policies they should they should think about instituting or principles or yeah so and I outlined some of those in the in the pamphlet so one thing for sure is don't feel the need to just replace everything that the federal government does and going along with that is you don't need to replace the IRS so right for people who don't know right now Texas does not have a state level income tax that's one of the reasons some people like going there and their job growth has been relatively high over the past decade let's say so I was just saying. Keep it that way. Don't don't feel like oh well because now we're losing all these services from Washington. We got to replicate them. Well, how are we going to pay for it? We need to have our own income tax. No, don't do that. You, you want to be a magnet for people coming in. One thing I argued, and this might have surprised because I've gotten a lot of good feedback from like te- pro Texas groups, and you know, the Texas is the this. I should also mention too, just so purists don't think I know. The, the hardcore guys, they use the term Texian to be like a citizen of the Republic of Texas, whereas a Texan 
is like, oh, if you think that Texas was a state in the union or whatever, but you know, so anyway, just they make that distinction. But I think probably one element where a lot of them weren't on board with me is I said, you guys should decriminalize drugs. Um, and, the, and the reason I gave was not because of libertarian arguments about bodily autonomy and things like, even though I agree with all that stuff, which is a practical one that's saying, if you break away, you want Mexico to be a stable, strong ally to help you know, resist if the U.S. starts ramping up stuff. You want Mexico to have their house in order. And the biggest, single biggest thing you can do to crush the cartels and sort of make, get rid of some of the corruption in Mexico's political system is to destroy the drug market, right? And if you just, if drugs were a normal business like anything else, then the Mexican cartels would lose a lot of their power and they wouldn't, you know, be such a destabilizing influence. So that's a, a bit of advice I gave. And then um, with the immigration stuff, yeah, I, I was saying, ideally, you would want to maintain good relations with the U.S. You don't want it to be like a huge hassle, a checkpoint Charlie, every time someone's coming in and out of, you know, now the foreign United States into your country of Texas. Um, and so I was just saying, you know, try to keep that free and open. And I also was saying, you know, it's, I don't think I got too specific because it's, it's tricky, like theoretically to figure out, you know, how, how do you handle this stuff? If you believe in just unfettered private property rights, like, so logically I would just want each property owner to decide what to do, but just saying resist the urge to crack down too much on letting people from the South move in because you want to grow your numbers. Like that's the way you're going to be, be a, a bigger bite for Washington to try to, you know, swallow is if, you know, you, you bump up your numbers. So you actually do want to have more people moving in. Do you think that I, I was just thinking about what you were talking about as far as you don't want the federal, the services that the federal government provides in Texas, you don't want so, like the, the income tax or, you know, different things like that. Do you think when people immigrate to Texas that it's the whole California thing? People here in uh, Nevada, they're coming from California. They bring their policies with them. They want like a liberal culture mm -hmm. in Nevada is the argument. Do you think that that, that would be something that could happen in Texas as well for people immigrating to that state? Don't you think uh, as far as like people who come into the state? Yeah. And I've heard. One of the better arguments I've seen from people who are skeptical that this would work out as cleanly as I'm hoping is they say, Bob, it's Texas is not homogeneous. And, um, you know, perhaps you being out in Lubbock, way less Texas, which is where Texas Tech was, which is a pretty conservative area. Maybe you're not getting this, but Texas, there's pockets, you know, of, of very liberal areas. And, and they were saying, so, you know, what, what might happen is if, even if the whole state does vote, and that was the thing too that I said in there that like it would have to be clear cut, like like two to one in a referendum or something, like so that it's just unambiguously nobody could argue that this is against the will of the people if that phrases to mean anything in terms of leaving. Um, they say even that were to be the case, there would be pockets, you know, in whether Austin or Dallas or whatever, where it, it would be more blue, and especially you could see with like you're saying, Randy, with immigration, like it as the Texas economy does better. More people are moving there just for economic reasons. And that wouldn't that give a pretext to the federal government to say, oh, no, we're fine with you know, people's self-determination. But look at in this recent referendum in Austin, it was actually 48-52. And so we need to go in and protect the rights of, you know, the the sizable minority there that are going to be oppressed, you know, because of abortion restrictions or whatever, you know, and, and that that sort of thing. So, um 
or, you know, they're changing the curriculum in the school. You know, now LGBTQ people are going to you know, have the clock turned back. And so that, that's why we're sending in federal officials and whatever. It's just to maintain, you know, these people are still U.S. citizens. They didn't renounce their citizenship. You know, they can't. So, um, so yes, to answer your question, there is that element. And again, so suppose this really were to happen and Texas broke away and there was no federal income. Thing. I mean, that's, people would be saving tens of thousands of dollars a year and their taxes just by moving to Texas. So there's a lot, anybody who works online or whatever would have a huge incentive to do that. Um, and, and so you're right that it's, and where would they be fleeing from is the blue states where they have terrible policies that are wrecking their economies. So uh, yes, that, that is an issue that, you know, when they come there and, and vote for. So yeah, that's a, a problem with all the, all these so-called political solutions is, you know, you're, it, it, you're not solving the problem if it's people voting for stuff that is bad, right? That in other words, it's, it, 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 I'm not able to guarantee that all oh, the, you know, the people in Texas are going to vote smart because we'll, we'll write a new constitution and this time we mean it and you know, that sort of stuff. So it's, it's more though. And, and when people were, were, would say this, they'd say, Bob, you know, I think actually what would happen, it's not just that Texas would break away, but there'd be regions of Texas that would fracture too. And that may be true and, and good. Like, because again, ultimately, you know, my ideal system would be more like individual. It's like everybody in house would be its own country. Like that'd be one way to think about it. I don't imagine you're uh, scheduled to give PowerPoint presentation on this to the Texas state legislature anytime soon. But do you know if anybody's been spreading this pamphlet around and getting people in there to, you know, look at it? So for sure, what's interesting is there's, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm probably not going to be able to come up with their name. There's this like government in exile of, of Texas where you know, there's people who who don't think that the original, you know, joining the union was was legal and, and whatnot. And they they have some decent arguments as to why they think this. And so they were saying, no, technically the Republic of Texas has always been independent. And and so they claim that they're the rightful, you know, current leaders of that of that republic or whatever. So they they love this thing and they, you know, they were the ones that just said we wish you hadn't called us Texans or Texans, you know, that, that sort of thing. So they, they, um, apparently at their meeting, someone got up and introduced it and just read the whole thing cover to cover. And everyone was like, Oh, okay. We're here. And, and they voted to put that in their foreign policy or foreign education <laughs> because from their perspective, the United States is a foreign country. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's really like, it's hard to like, Oh, wow, these people are serious, you know, but, and then yes, the other more mainstream groups that are working on what they call Texas secession. So, I'm saying that group, they don't call it secession because in their mind, we never joined. Right. It's just right. they're acknowledging, they're just affirming. Um, it's, it's affirmation. As they, uh, as they gave you the lecture on the proper term, did they give you the etymology? What's with the extra I? I don't remember, to be <laughs> honest. It might just have been to make a distinction. I'm not sure. I, I think that that's historically what the people in the Republic of Texas called themselves. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it just got short. Maybe originally it was Texian. And then just over time, Texan is easier to say. I don't know. Um, but, but yes, yeah, so, so other groups that are like just working for what they call Texit have gotten this and been talking to me. I didn't even know someone who there is some committee like to work on this stuff at the state level. And he was talking to me about, you know, possibly having me as an advisor and whatever, but so far that hasn't come to fruition. So yes, to answer your question, Adam, the, the groups that have for a while been working on this stuff, I think they're all aware of this and, you know, they, they like a lot of the arguments on it. You mentioned it in the pamphlet that if Trump had won instead of Biden, you might have written the thing from the perspective of California because a lot of the 
demographic and the geologic conditions of Texas are the same for California, and they're large enough that they could do it. Or if DeSantis or Trump or whoever wins the presidency in 24, are you going to maybe repurpose it, republish it <laughs> with California on the cover? But I mean, and perhaps, yeah, it's um, on that. It was actually, it was the Trump and, and Hillary Clinton one that there were polls of people in California that, yeah. yes, it was, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but, but yeah, a, a, a surprisingly large percentage of the people in California were saying they were open to the idea of California breaking away, um, you know, it, with, with Trump possibly winning and then vice versa with uh, Texas and, and Hillary Clinton. So, yeah, it's, and I think, I mean, I'll, I'll just be honest. I was, I never thought Roe v. Wade was going to get overturned. I thought the abortion activists were just engaged in fear mongering and stuff. And it's, it's yeah. probably like how the left thinks, oh, no one's going after your guns. Don't worry. Whereas like, you know, the second amendment people are like, no, they really are. There's a, you know, and it's, they think, oh, come on, just stop being extremist paranoid. So yeah, when, when, you know, left wing activists would say for a while, look at all these right wing judges that, the Republicans are pointing, they're going to, they're coming after Roe. I thought that wasn't the case, but now we see that it is. And so, yeah, I think more people are realizing that as stuff gets more polarized, it, you know, maybe it's, it's a bad strategy to just say, well, we got to make sure no bad person ever gets installed again. I and mean, that's, I guess, the one benefit of the demonization of Trump, which to me, I think was over the top, is that if left wing progressives really think Basically, Hitler was elected by people who knew full well what they were doing. It was like, well, do you want to be in the same country with these people? Like that might happen again. Right. You know, so it's, it's, um, you know, wouldn't it be safer to, to not be at the mercy of people who, according to you, are willing to elect Hitler because their taxes are too high? It's a little bit of a tangent and not quite your area of expertise, but do you think that the Supreme Court is starting to move in the area of, decentralizing the decisions that they've made in the past. I mean, I never thought they'd overturn something as old as Roe. What is it, over 50 years? Uh, but it sounds like if you listen to Clarence Thomas, he's starting to rethink the incorporation doctrine for crying out loud. I mean, <laughs> do you have any insight on what you think they're doing over there? I mean, I I don't have as the particulars like to say, oh, I think they're going to go after this case next and then this and so on and these longstanding precedents. But yeah, I, I guess I would say if they're willing to overturn Roe v. Wade. Like that to me is the single biggest thing they could have like to show they're not afraid. Just like when Donald Trump came in and he pulled the United States out of the Paris Agreement, like the, the climate change thing, I was very surprised. Like I knew he had been talking about, you know, oh, we're not going to go along with these UN schemes and things like that. This is all a China hoax and blah, blah, blah. But I, I was really surprised he did that. And so likewise, it's Supreme Court willing to do this. Yeah, I think everything's on the table now because that that is the biggest thing they could have done in terms of just what's considered politically acceptable. And here's the range within which you're allowed to operate and be reasonable and overturn your world. That's just like, what more would they be afraid of at this point? Right. Like, is, so, and, you know, I, I do think like people on both sides agree that Roe v. Wade was, was terrible law. Like it just, you know, they were just making stuff up and whatever, you know, even if you're oh, yeah. for abortion access that the, the, the legal machinations through which they came up with that were kind of crazy. So it's, you know, but if they were willing to do that, then yeah, you would think they would be willing to do all kinds of stuff. Have you been watching New Hampshire and what they're up to with trying to get secession on the referendum or, or whatever it is they're doing? Do you have any thoughts on New Hampshire? I, I don't know. If you want to tell me more about what it is, I can comment on it. But I mean, I, I know, like I said, when this pamphlet came out, some people in New Hampshire were asking me, can we take 
this and, you know, adapt the arguments. And I said, sure, but I don't know the specifics of what they're working on right now. No, I'm sorry. I don't either. I just started with, <laughs> they were getting, trying to get it on the referendum or something like that. The reason we had you on is because secession sounds cool, but uh, we're just poor little Nevada here and the federal government owns like 90% of us. So I guess we're mm. screwed, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be trickier in a situation like that, even though, you know, as a rock bardian or something, we could argue, well, the means by which, you know, they had stolen tax dollars and that's how they acquired the, or whatever the, the history is. But yeah, it would be trickier, I would think, to argue that, you know, people who are surrounded by federal land. In we just need an easement corridor that'll get us to the ocean. Right, right. There's easements, right? <laughs> Write it into the deed. But, but I mean, even there, like, so people who would not move to Texas or whatever, like they would still benefit, I think, you know, from this again, just to, to show the precedent. Because what, what really would have to happen for it to be, you know, a successful experiment, let's say, is if Texas leaves, it's relatively peaceful. And then people can see, check in five years later and look at it and it's, see, it's up and running. It's, you know, it didn't, it didn't collapse in the anarchy and all these you know, problems people said didn't happen. Do you want to make a quick direct pitch to the leftist progressive liberal types about how much better their life would be if they just let all the conservatives, you know, in Texas secede and have the country's uh, political demographics shift the way they obviously would? Yeah, sure. So just some of the points I made that again, and I, and I wasn't saying this like tongue in cheek or whatever, but like truthfully, I was, I was trying to say the way things are going, there really is, I don't know if civil war is the right term because that makes it sound like it's more like large scale military action. And then might the weaponry in the federal government might not look like that right now, but I mean, it's, it's moving where there's going to be brawls in the streets, like between Antifa and, you know, Patriot groups, let's call them. And so does they look at that's not good for anybody. And so we need to off ramp from this trajectory right now. And just having, you know, if, if Texas, and I'm not even saying they need to support it, but just saying if a bunch of people in Texas voted to leave, you know, clear cut majority, let's say two thirds in a referendum, I'm saying you would, you would have to let them go. Right. And some of the arguments we've, we've touched on a little bit is just in terms of you say you believe in self-determination and democracy. Well, in any other country on earth, if a group said we want to leave, you would be okay with that. You wouldn't want the, you know, the central government to use tanks to stop them. Uh, and then a couple of the other artists in terms of local politics that look at the things you want to get done in your own state in terms of, you know, progressive policies. What's the scene in the gears? It's this, you know, intransigent, really angry Fox News watching cohort that are not a majority in your state. Well, if a lot of those people would be the ones that would move to a, a free Texas, right? So that's just going to make things easier in your neighborhood. Like you just for you to get done what you want. So let's let there be two, two systems and you know, let the people in Texas, they're going to be, you're not going to change their mind. So instead of just using force to try to ram it down, so just let them go. And then you can at least have your area and the people who agree with what you're doing to move to you and let them do it. And then the other thing, which it may not be as relevant because coronavirus isn't as hot a topic now as it was, you know, when this pamphlet came out, but just to say, even on your own terms is there's more, you know, outbreaks or different things. And the people who really think, Hey, everyone needs to mask. Everyone needs to get vaccinated, get their booster shots. And I cannot believe they're selfish individuals not doing this in terms of the epidemiology. I think it, it would definitely slow the spread, right? If, the, if most of the people who aren't going to do that or who are going to fake, you know, fake their card and say, oh, I got vaccinated. They all went to one area and the people in your area were largely vaccinated. That stops mutations and things, even on your own terms, right? So in terms of, 
a lot of the hot button issues that you care about right now control over what gets taught in the schools, right? All these people are raising a fuss at the local parent teacher meetings and whatever school board meetings, let them move to Texas or wherever, you know, Florida, wherever it breaks away. And then wouldn't that just make things a lot simpler? And yeah, you wouldn't get everything you wanted. There would still be people a thousand miles away doing things you don't like, but wouldn't that be better than them stopping you from doing what you want in your own neighborhood? Yeah, it's a great argument. I'm just thinking that 10 years ago, or maybe a little over 10 years ago, it was you and Tom Woods talking about nullification. And we've progressed to this point where didn't he come out with, or he bought the domain name for national divorce. I mean, mm-hmm. so we're, things have accelerated so so far in relatively little time as far as where we're at. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think so. And I think part of it is, let me just mention before we get, so I personally don't like the term national divorce. Mm-hmm. And and partly it's because, like I'm quote you know against divorce you know as a, as a general principle, but also I think that gives too much credit to political associations because it's not that anybody when they join a larger group said till death do us part the way you say it you know when you get married and so it's you know to me it makes it sound like oh you you were joined more closely like hey you all agreed you were going to be part of this Washington system. And, you know, in front of God and your families and what are you doing now? You're just, oh, because it's inconvenient. I know I was going to be taxed so much. Come on. Like, it's not like that at all. Nobody agreed to this. And so um, I guess, you know, it it would be like if you were divorcing from an arranged marriage would be, but it was like something your great, great grandparents arranged. Um, So there's, there's that element. But yeah, I think, you know, again, I'm all for nullification and everything still too, but I, I think things have just gotten to the point where this, you know, all the stuff they're, they're bringing in with the, I think they're emulating the Chinese system with the social credit ratings and the, the uh, coordination of the government with like large corporations. Like it's just playing out in a way where the way they can control a lot of people is they technically just need to lean on the large corporations yeah. and say, and just say, you want to stay on our good side. Cause there's all, we got antitrust, we got, you know, tax thing, we can audit you. There's all sorts of stuff we can do to you. SEC, all these things that if they want to just make life miserable for a large corporation, they can find a way so that they implement the policies and, you know, they have all these social credit ratings and or whatnot. And so it's, they can really micromanage society in a way that strictly speaking, it's not that they're violating constitutional rights because yeah. they're not directly saying, Oh, you as an individual, you're, you're allowed to criticize the government. It's just, if you do your social credit rating, it's dang. And then the hotel's, voluntarily have a policy where we give preference to people with a high credit rating or whatever. So you might not and perhaps be able to stay in a hotel or rent a car, but that's, those are private companies. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's actually, that, that's how they do it in China. Like it's, I, you know, when I was at Texas Tech, someone came and gave a presentation on that. And that was the, the model. It was that like the hotels would say, if your credit score is, is too low, we won't rent a room. And you said, what do they care if you criticize the government as well? Because then the hotel's credit rating gets dinged they rent to too many people with a low credit rating score. You know what I mean? So it's this hierarchical system. Coercion is is introduced, but it's at a few small choke points. And then the rest is like voluntary within that system. Yeah, I love the argument that the social media companies that are throttling free speech, well, they're just private companies. It's like, well, yeah, but they the heads of those private companies do get called in to testify before Congress and the threat of them being nationalized or, you know, their FCC situation of being taken away from them. It's not like there is an obvious government interference in what they're doing. And that's before Zuckerberg told Rogan that, oh, yeah, by the way, the FBI came in and told us uh, 
go ahead and censor anything that you hear in the next week or two. Wink, wink. It's came from the Russians. Right. And, and even there, like that, it's tricky. So, you know, the sort of like naive libertarian to oh, it's a private company. They do what they want. I get why they're saying that because it's a slippery slope. Like once you say, oh, well, then we want to, you know, regulate. And so you can't. In other words, if the problem is that the government is doing all that stuff behind the scenes, it's not a solution to say, well, let's make sure the government does the right thing now. You know what I mean? So it's to say that the way we're going to deal with media censorship is to make them a public utility or whatever, a commons and have, you know, so that's now unconstitutional if you kick someone off Twitter. Like that, to me, that's, that's a, a dead end as, as well. But, but yes, to, to merely just say, oh, private company and this discussion, I think is overlooking the way in practice that they're going to, I mean, all this stuff like the World Economic Forum, those, those people aren't Marxists. Like, they're social. A lot of them are socialists, but they're not Marxists. Like, they, they believe in big, I mean, because a lot of them are shareholders and giant corporations or whatever. So they, they're technocrats. And the, the yeah. vision they see is just the sort of, all the stakeholders at, you know, the table and whatever. So it's like merging state and, and big business, you know, big government, big business is, is merging. And that's kind of the model. And some of the libertarian arguments, I think, are just m- missing that context. Yeah, it's the worst. I mean, <laughs> that old argument, what's worse, corporate power or state power? Well, why can't we have both? <laughs> right, right. Working together to screw the individual. <laughs> and I think, too, a part of the problem is a lot of American libertarians, you know, growing up in our system where the federal government is always this big entity with the club, and then the corporations are the ones that are subservient. And that's kind of, you know, I ran famously said that, you know, big business was the most persecuted minority or something like that. Um, but in other contexts, like again, when Klaus Schwab and these guys, when they, you know, they have these world government forums and things and they have agenda items and they go to the heads of like smaller countries around the world and just say, Hey, if you want to get on board with us, look at, we show you this, so you, you got to, here's what you need to do. You know, you got to reform your tax system like this. You got to do the blah, 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 blah. But, you know, then we'll, you know, we have these companies come in and they'll extract your mineral resources and this and that, but we'll give you this funding. And, and so it's, it, it is more the ominous like thing that leftists would worry about where you know, some giant corporate international corporation that's in league with the World Economic Forum and they have ties to MI6 and all this stuff. And they come into some African country that has a lot of mineral resources strike a deal with the local guy like it it's it, it really is not just like oh laissez-faire market forces and yay international trade like it, it it's more ominous and a lot of the typical arguments don't hold up when it's a trillion dollar corporation coming in to a relatively small government everybody wants to seize the ring of power and use it to enact their vision of the good society it's so hard to convince people that no the solution is to throw the ring into into the fiery pits of Mordor. Right. And it's, you know, and, and I, I understand there's this whole movement now, people calling themselves post-libertarians. I'm sure you guys have seen. And I, I understand their frustration that they're you know, saying for a lot of the people who are fans of Ron DeSantis and the stuff he's doing in Florida and you know, say, look, at the, our enemies are using the state against us. We have to use the state to fend them off. And then maybe down the road, we'll talk about get rid of the, yeah, right now we just sit here and stick to our principles. We're sitting ducks. So I understand their frustration, but at the same time, again, it's like, well, no, like once you start acting like your enemy, then you, you know, you turn into the monster. Yeah. And I think we've seen that already. 
when DeSantis is protecting his citizens from the federal government, he looks like a hero. But I think he's already demonstrated that if he were in the presidency, he has authoritarian tendencies and they would come out. I mean, he, the things he wants to do to Disney and he thinks he's fighting it back against, you know, the, the overreach from the left, but don't give ideologues power to impose their will on other people. It, it's a mistake. Yeah. And I'll, like just a, a specific example, like with the, um, and there was a, the Texas analog of this too, like to say no business operating within our state can have a, a test about whether their employees should be vaccinated. Yeah. And, and I understand like people saying, oh, because they're just trying to counteract all the pressure coming from the, from Washington to say that you do need to do that. But it, even beyond this, that particular issue, but this, the slippery slope of, you know, well, what, what if there really were a private organization that wanted to have certain standards and whatever, and then, you know, for the, the state legislature or whatever, the executive order to come in and say, you, you can't do that. Again, it's, I think it's naive to think it's going to stop there. And also on those particular ones, they couldn't more carefully worded it for sure. to say, if you, you know, violate federal law or executive order, whatever the heck it was, then, you know, we will do everything in our power to protect you from federal penalties. You know what I mean? Like we will not cooperate with federal yeah. officials. We will blah, blah, blah. And I, in practice, that would be the same thing, but they like they made it into a catch-22 no matter which, what a business did. It was either break federal law or state law. And yeah, to me, that was just kind of a crazy situation. Just And everybody... The, the other thing, too, is I think it just made the libertarians look bad because a lot of the same people who a few years earlier with the whole bake-the-cake stuff were saying, hey, yeah. if a private business doesn't want to serve gay couples or, you know, in principle, doesn't want to serve Jewish people or black people... So, you know, so be it that, that, you know, they can, they can go out of business if the community is outraged, but the government has no business. But then it's like, whoa, a business wants me to put a mask on? Call the governor. This is crazy. This is unacceptable. Make that illegal. And it's, yeah. so, yes, I understand how, well, no, see, this is different because, but it sure looks like when businesses are not serving people that aren't you, hey, that's laissez-faire, you know, free market capitalism. But then if, if it's inconveniencing me, then all of a sudden this is outrageous and I want the you know, state government involved. Yeah, it's ridiculous and short-sighted. I mean, we believe in private property and freedom of association. And really, as libertarians, all we have is our principles. If we start violating those, you know, for whatever reason, well, we're not libertarians anymore. We're just some other kind of authoritarian that maybe is slightly less awful than, or is perceived as less bad than the left or the right. Yeah, I agree with that. And and also, too, it's be. Just, you can see how fast it unraveled. Yeah. Like it was online, like the rhetoric going to, I think it was a United flight where it was, it went viral where they were on the plane and the, I think the kid was two years old or something and they're yeah. trying to put the mat and the kid didn't want it and they kicked him up and the mom started recording. And I think, and you know, certain people were, oh, uh, it would be a shame if, if the empty planes here, you know, were, were set on fire. You know, hmm. stuff like that and <laughs> wink, wink, ha, ha, you know, and it, I think, Things are going in a trajectory where it's not going to be jokes online, but people are going to start doing that stuff. And so then not only do I think that that's not moral, but also that's going to be the, what the officials are going to use to then impose martial law. Like Scott always says, Scott Horton, the action is in the reaction. There's nothing the state would love more than to, for us to be violent. So they have an excuse to crack down. And so don't do that, people. <laughs> well, yeah. And what's ironic with that too if you bring like some of the, you know, and I'm not saying this is a pejorative term, like conspiracy theorists or whatever, will say like, oh no, Timothy McVeigh was set up. He didn't do that. It was, you know, feds today was a false flag. And it's like, okay, 
So if you're saying with the feds, you know, make it look like there was an attack on a federal building in order to gain more power, doesn't that mean then the worst thing for you to do is actually attack a federal building? Yeah. <laughs> if you admit that they would like it to look like that so that they can, you know, that that helps them. So for all these things that, you know, people speculate may, may have been false flags, it's like, okay, so don't do a thing that if it were a false flag, you would agree helps the government. Like then you're doing their job for them. Yeah, tactically unsound for sure. So we're uh, we're coming up on uh, on time, Adam. I think uh, we're over an hour here. Um, I'd love to keep talking to you, but I wanted to respect your time, Bob. Did you have one last question, Adam? No, I was just about to thank Bob for being so generous with his time. And uh, you're our biggest get to date, and we are not worthy. So thank you so much for coming. Oh, well, thanks for uh, having me on. And uh, yeah, again, just by pointing to the TexasCommonSense.com. We'll read more on this stuff. And uh, glad you guys are doing what you're doing. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for coming on. Until next time. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. The podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.